Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So Dominique, it's been a really, really fun June for me because I've done a lot of traveling and a lot of teaching. And because I knew I was going to be away most of June, at the beginning of June, I sent all the goats home to the convent where they originally came from. So I've been goatless for the past month. And the last three days, I went up to the convent to do a three-day workshop for the 4-H group that's associated with the goats. So I've, I've had three days of goat play. And I wanted, I wanted to share some of some of that experience because I just, I was so proud of those little goats. They've had quite the life experiences the last few weeks. So they had, we have the the twins and the triplets and they were just, they were about three months old when they left. They had grown up in my nice, safe, happy, fun environment. And they went on to a horse trailer. I've never loaded 10 animals at once before. That was quite the circus. But we got them on the horse trailer, sent them on their way. Horse trailer opens up and they're in a completely new world. And one and their new world included things like more goats. So there's that whole, oh, there are more goats in the world. Who would have thought that? And apparently they had quite a, a fairly rough transition when they were introduced into the horse into the goat herd because of course all the other baby goats had basically grown up together and so there'd been a lot of the learning of you know I can push you because I'm bigger than you are but this other goat can push me kind of thing and there'd been a there there's certain friendships formed alliances formed relationships formed whatever you want to call it that these goats were not a part of so they were sort of thrown into the deep end. They still had and their the environment. The, the others had the advantage of not being in a strange environment. Exactly, exactly. Mm. They still had their moms with them. And uh, sister did ease them into this. So it wasn't as though they were just pulled off the trailer and thrown in. They, they were kept apart for a little bit. But still, it was quite the change. And then this last week, they had what is the most traumatic event of all. They were weaned. So they were not happy goats. So when I turned up on the the first day of the workshop, we started out, and I wasn't, hadn't really planned this, but I think the sister knew that I wanted to play with the girls. So she brought the four of them out into the workspace. She had some great panels, that metal panels that were set up in a big rectangle, and the kids could sit outside and watch, and we could do some protective contact work and so on. And And I had brought some of the props from home. So we had the platforms that I'd used when I was teaching them to go to a station in each in their own spot during feeding times. And then I had built, just before they left, we built this wonderful, wonderful agility course that was made up of just bits and pieces and scraps from around the barn. So we had planks that they could walk through and, and they had pool noodles that made tunnels and they had the stations to go to. They just It was a really fun agility course that they were learning. 
And it's a new sport to invent, goat agility. <laughs> goat agility. Well, I'm sure I'm not the first person. I'm sure I'm not the first person who's done that with goats because they are mm. so wonderfully. In fact, I'm not, and that 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 comes into the the sharing in a in a few minutes. But so she car- she caught up each one and carried them into the work area, set them down, and now I have four goats, and I'm trying to to introduce the the children to the clicker training and sort of pay attention to the kids. And all of a sudden, I realize that I have four goats who are up on their stations, all trying to get attention, and I was just so tickled that here they were in a strange environment with people all around them, which was completely new. And they were, they were totally oblivious to all of that. They just, they recognized their stations. They recognized me. They knew the game to play and they were totally engaged. And that was like, oh, and so, you know, it just, that's the sort of thing that talk about reinforcing. So we went through the day and Elian and Peleus participated and Galahad was there. And of course they, they also just were very fun and reinforcing for me to get to play with them. With Peleus in particular, I took him through a more complex agility course than the girls were ready for. And he could go up on, a, on the platform or across a plank and I could ask him to stop and he'd stop and wait and then we'd move on and I could ask him to stop and wait again and and so we were getting a lot of good questions from the kids about oh you know do you always have to click that's just a common one but no you you know you if I if I re if I click I reinforce that was the question do you always have to give them a treat well if I click I reinforce them but I can ask for different things and so I could show them that I could take Peleus up through this agility course up over the platforms and along the walkways and I could ask him to stop and sometimes I could click and reinforce him there or I might cue the next behavior and then I showed them that since as he learned it that I could then start the the whole sequence and take him through the whole sequence all the way back to our stationing behavior at the starting point and only click him for the return so they were really seeing the power and flexibility of this. I was really pleased with Peleus. And then at the very end of the day, after everyone had left, the sister opened the gates up into the pasture. And so all the, uh, and the, the boys and the girls are now separated. So they, all of her, all of her weathers and, and, and young bucks are on one side of the barn and they're separated by a barrier from the, all the girls. So first she opened up the fence for the boys and they all went streaming out. And then she opened up the fence for the girls and all the girls went streaming out. So there were some babies and some mothers who hadn't yet been weaned from their babies and some yearlings and they all went streaming out except for my four girls who stayed in the barn with me and would not leave to go out with the other goats and the grass. They just wanted attention. For, I would say, the better part of an hour, they stayed in the barn and played with me. Wow. That's wow. So that's one of those, why do we train? This is why we train. Right. It was just really fun. So the second day we didn't use, we the, the girls came in, but they came in with the whole group uh, babies. So they were sort of mixed into the whole group. And we had children on the outside of the pen learning to target, but using the protective contact of the fence so that it wasn't a mob scene from from either point of view. We didn't want the goats being mobbed by children and we didn't want children being mobbed by goats. So but on the 
morning of the third day, my four were waiting by the gate when I got there. <laughs> so, so I let them in and closed the gate so the other goats couldn't come. But then there's sort of a middle paddock that uh, leads into the main work area. And I left the gate open for that. So they were free to leave. They could have left if they wanted to. And instead, they just stayed with me in the work area. And again, they were so good. And they were following me. They were following the target up over the various obstacles and then going to station. It was so much fun. It was so much fun working with you know, all four together. And the contrast with these goats who have had so much handling and so much training compared with the other goats who are roughly the same age was enormous. And the goats this year, the other babies really haven't had very much handling, in some cases no handling, because earlier in the in the spring, the sister slipped on some ice and injured her ankle and was not allowed to go out to the barn. So they did not get their normal, the normal handling that she would have done with them. So the contrast between goats that had had a lot of handling, the four that I worked with, and the goats that had had basically no handling was, was enormous. So if someone asked, why do we train? Well, this is why we train. So we have four individuals who want to be with me. They don't well, isn't that a nice illustration that training is enrichment for the animals? Yes. Yes. It's not we're not training for our benefit. So well, of course it is for my benefit. It's very reinforcing to have the goats wanting to be there. I would say it's for our mutual benefit. Hmm. Absolutely, for our mutual benefit. And we had two really interesting comments from one from one of the children who was watching, a, a teenager, who said, you know, he, he knew that you could train dogs and dolphins and animals like that, but goats and cows and sheep, well, they just were livestock. You know, they just mm. ate grass. He never thought about them as being animals you could train. But when he saw Peleus and the others going over the obstacle course, and when he saw the babies, he just, it, 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 completely changed how he was viewing those animals. So that's another reason why train. And then the other comment from one of the parents who was watching, she has goats, and she and her children take go to the county fair with the goats, and they always have an agility course set up at the end. And she said, you know, I look at that, and it's never seemed really like fun for the goats because they're being dragged, they're being dragged by the horns, the goats are collapsing on the ground in protest that you know they, they don't want to do it it just looks horrible and then here were these babies who were so joyfully and easily and delightfully going over the obstacles that we had set up for them again why train there's there's the answer there's the answer so it was just really fun it was a very gratifying ex and reinforcing experience for me are you coming back or are you yes i well I, i'm not sure when again. yeah i do definitely want them back in the barn the the barn is 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 much quieter much quieter uh without <laughs> them and i want to continue with the babies through this phase of because they do need to learn how to walk on a lead so that they can go to things like the county fair without it being a traumatic 
experience for them. And definitely Peleus and Elian will be coming back after they've had a little time out on the pasture at, at the convent. So they, they will be back in the barn and we will explore in greater depth this this whole question of why train. And it gets to a broader question of what does training mean and what are we training? And we've been talking about the science of clicker training. We've been talking about poison cues and movement cycles and things of that sort as we were over the past few weeks as we were preparing for the webinar that we had scheduled with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. Our focus was really very much on the science of training. But we often talk about the art of training. And in this workshop that we did for the kids, we, we had a group of human learners who were new to clicker training. They were new to training in general. They did not have the training skills that a more experienced handler would have. So we're starting really from scratch. You know, this is how you hold a target. This is how you deliver food and, and all these details that make a difference. And one of the goats that we worked with was a goat that had been in the barn over the winter that Marla Foreman, who was staying with me over the winter, had trained. His name is Galahad. And he's a, a very eager, super little goat. And one of the things that I had worked with with Marla that we teach him was the A to Bs, that you have two people and we're each holding a target and he goes from person to person to get clicked and reinforced. And in Galahad's case, we have him on, we start on a platform. So he's on a platform. And then I, if, I, if he's with me, then on cue, I then send him to the, to the next person. I'd send him to Marla. And she also has a platform that she's next to and a target. And he'll go to that platform, to that target, and get clicked and reinforced. And it's a very easy way to teach jumps. So you can put a jump in the middle and so now when you send him, he's going not just to the next person, but he's going over a jump to get to the next person. And this is something that we knew that was a behavior that they would value because at the county fair there's and at the fiber festivals, they have these jumping competitions. And Galahad likes to jump and he likes, he likes it when people applaud and tell him he's wonderful. So a, he's a good mix for this. So we had the, the children learning how to work with Galahad because he's going to be staying there with them and he's going to be their teacher. So he's going to be the goat who introduces this cohort of human learners to clicker training. And it was interesting when we had them first try the whole behavior. The behavior was falling apart. So one of the things that they were missing was the weight. So we need Galahad, when he's on the platform, to be able to pause, click treat, pause, click treat, now I'll send you. Because if you lose the pause, you lose control of the behavior. And we were losing the pause because the handlers didn't have a pause in their handling behavior. So they were getting the click in but then they weren't going into stillness in their bodies, which was really a cue for Galahad. So we, we pulled them out. 
went through the procedure, took just that little bit, had them do a dress rehearsal, taught that, that one little element, went back in. Galahad was super. So it gets to this whole question of what are we marrying when we, what are we joining up when we are talking about training? And I've been talking, doing all the talking, which doesn't seem quite right in the, since it's supposed to be a conversation. So I want you to jump in in the next, um, as soon as I stop blathering. But we definitely, the science is something we both value enormously. But we talk a lot about, and there's, there's the, the practice of training, the skills. So you could understand the science magnificently, but if you're not able to get your hand smoothly into the treat pouch, or you're moving your hand before the click, if there's something in the actual handling that is not clear and smooth and organized, you're going to have a confused learner. And then there's the what we talk about, the art of training. And we do, I know I do, I think of training very much as an art. But what does that mean? Is there a way that we could operationalize art? What does it mean? When Galahad is waiting on the platform, there's an art, that's what we would call it. There's, you know, there's the art of knowing, well, how, how many times do you click and reinforce before you send it? And we'll say, well, that's just part of the art. Well, actually, that's not art. That's experience. That's understanding duration. But there is something that we refer to as the art of training, as well as the science of training. Well, I don't know. For me, what is the art of training? I think it's good knowledge, good skills, and ethics. And this this word, the word art, as you know, I come from a background where I come from the show business background yes. and I've been with artists for the past 15 years before I left Cavalia. I've been all around the world and I've seen people describing dressage routine as being art. And this word art, sometimes, I mean, it brings up good things, but sometimes I'm a little bit wary of that word. When you start asking behaviors to an animal, I prefer that because art is for me very, it's like an individual expression of emotion, of a way of seeing the world. It's a human construct. And I've heard many, many, many stories that people create around animals, beautiful stories that are actually quite untrue from a scientific point of view. Such as, can you give an example? Well, you know, you hear people say things like, in the racing industry, this horse really wants to win. Ah. Really. Or you hear, this horse, he loves being on stage. Really, is that, or he loves the medals. Right, or he That's, loves you know, to these, jump. You hear these things all the time. I yeah. mean, people can become quite lyrical. There has been lots of Walt Disney movies made around these constructs. And the Walt Disney animal, for me, I think is something very, that can be quite detrimental to the animals because when the animal doesn't fit the story anymore, it can become, I would say, quite ugly. Yes. Uh, there's a, I think there's a great book, uh, 
what is it? The it's Jean Donaldson's. Flash, I think. Yes, the, yes, the, the yes. Beginning the introduction yep. of that book. It's a great. There's a great uh, chapter on the Walt yep. Disney animal. That that's where I first met it was in the introduction to Jean Donaldson's Culture Clash, and I was just about to ask you if if you had read it. Should we describe a little bit what she says in that introduction? Because it's well, it's really worth repeating. Do you want me to do it, or do you want to do it? Yeah, do, go ahead. Okay, so, and it's been a long time since I've read it, so hopefully I'm, I'm doing justice to the introduction. And if, if people haven't read it, they should, because I think it's one of those, even if you don't read the whole book, you should read the introduction. So yeah. she says that there's these two models of training. One is the Walt Disney model, and the other is the Skinnerian model. And the Walt Disney model has been responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of animals. Now, when you read that, that's a pretty blunt and shocking statement to encounter at the beginning of a book, but this is what she means by it. So if Lassie can rescue Timmy from the mind kind of thing, where the dog is this noble, virtuous, wonderful creature, but he also is is defecating on your living room carpet, well, he's doing that to be spiteful. He's doing that to test you. So if if you can be virtuous, you can also be spiteful. So if your animal is relieving behind the living room couch out of sight, he's doing that for these testing, not nice reasons. That's an animal that's going to end up at the animal shelter being euthanized. And that's what she means by it's responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of animals. But if we look at it from the Skinnerian point of view, what you may look at is when you've seen that dog drops a pile on your living room floor, what has the reaction been? You've punished him. So what the dog may have learned is that it's unsafe to relieve in the presence of the human. And so he waits and he waits and he waits until you're out of sight and not there. And then he goes and hides behind the couch and relieves behind the couch because that's where it's safe. Now that's something you can do something about. If that's your analysis, if that's the Skinnerian analysis, you can change that and you can create a, a good outcome. But if he's just doing it to spite you, he's going to end up at the shelter. And that distinction between the Skinnerian and the Walt Disney model, I think is a really powerful one that we need to pay attention to. So back to you. Well, I mean, the art of training, how, what does that mean for you? Because I'm, in my mind, I'm pretty sure that we could make an analysis that could sound pretty scientific of what the art of training is. But what does it mean for you? For me, it has always meant that because my, my interest is in balance, and as horses become more balanced in their bodies and become more engaged and wanting to be with you, they become increasingly beautiful. Horses are, they are exquisitely beautiful animals. There is something about the look of a horse that just makes me go weak at the knees. When I get back after a trip and I see Robin and Robin is, he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't get a lot of exercise when I'm away, but he does a lot of his lovely Pilates pose and he has just gorgeous muscles and he's, he's gorgeous. And 
to me, the horse is, it's like, that's my canvas. So the shaping of behavior, this encouraging a horse to find this beautiful balance where they're lifting up through their bodies instead of collapsing down. So instead of looking like a tired old cart horse, they look like this just powerful, magnificent, happy, energetic, healthy, engaged individual. That that, for me, is my artist's canvas in the way that you have a sculpture works with clay or with stone. Well, I'm shaping, but I'm shaping through another being. But is that art or is that a good knowledge of biomechanics? Is that a good analysis of what the movement implies for the horse? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I th and I suppose it, it I, and you're right, that you could look at it in both ways. And that without some understanding of balance and biomechanics, you can end up, you can say, oh, I'm shaping the pose, but you can end up with a look that's very, oh, really? I think you need to keep working on that one. You know, you're getting the horse who's overflexed. You're getting a horse who's pulling down. You're getting a horse who's... Where, where you're no longer working for the benefit of a healthy spine. Yeah, and some people might say, wow, this is beautiful. You yes, yes. I, I've seen when I was in Europe sometimes some amazing dressage routines, and people were saying it was art and it was beautiful. And for me, it was everything but beautiful. Yes. I, well. I was, it was hard for me to look at. So what is beauty? Well. What is art? I think that, you know, for me, an animal is beautiful in itself, an animal, and when we respect is, its nature, that for me is beauty. Yes. And there's nothing more beautiful than a horse relaxed in his environment, well adapted to his environment, whether he's doing sophisticated movements or not. And the sophisticated movements, how you get them makes it beautiful or not beautiful. Because if you have a horse that's doing really technical things, but he's super stressed, I don't find that beautiful at all. No. And that's very, I know that's very personal, but I think that with the positive reinforcement, what we strive for is to have horses who are enjoying the movements that they are performing. I agree with you. I agree with you. And oftentimes what we're doing with the work, with the training, is we're helping to return the horse to a state of well-being and good health that they would have had if they had not had the human interventions. So we often are working with horses that have been damaged by, by riding that have been asked to work in those balances that where they are stressed and they're not carrying themselves well. So that is one, one aspect of it. But we can also help horses to move just as we can with people, just because, you know, not all people are, are natural born athletes. I certainly am not. But with some guidance, 
I can certainly learn to move with greater ease than I would have figured out on my own. And we have lots of horses who who are not who were not naturally great athletes, but through training have learned how to move so that they move with greater ease and less stress on their joints than they would have if left to their own devices. And that's a good thing. But then the whole... And I I just want to come back because I said I saw things in Europe. I have to say, too, that I did some beautiful things in Europe because they're very advanced in terms of dressage. So I don't want to imply in any way that there isn't some wonderful work being done in Europe. I think that a lot of the, the masters have come from Europe and the search for lightness and... So I, I just wanted to, to clarify that little, right. uh, nuance here. And the, the whole question of art, what is, never mind how we look at it with, from the horses. I mean, there's that whole question of what is art. So you go to a museum of modern art and you can look at something and think, really, really? Is that art? What is art? What, how do we f- define art? I have... Well, that's, that's what I like about science, is that subjectivity it is not interfering in our analysis of what is. Because art is a very subjective thing. That's why it's a human expression. Yes. Well, I was just thinking that, because I'm, I'm sitting in my office and on my wall, is this really beautiful painting, very abstract painting, though if you look at it, you'll see that there is a horse in it. And it was painted by a horse. So what is art? You know, what is art? And when we're, when we're thinking about what is it that we're training, I, am, I think whether we call it art or we call it science, what needs to sit at the core are ethics. Is this for our ego at the expense of the horse? Or is this something that both the horse and I benefit from and can enjoy together? Yes, and that's probably a good spot to end. We'll let people think about that. That's a good place to end the podcast. We'll end on that thought and let people ponder that for their own training. So until next time, have fun with your training and have fun with your horses. Thank you for listening. Before we sign off for the week, we have a couple of really exciting announcements. First, We so enjoyed our first webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz that we couldn't resist. We asked him to come back for an encore performance. The webinar is going to be July 29, 2018 at 1.30 Eastern Time. To sign up, go to equosity.com. But wait, that's just the beginning. August 18, we're going to have a webinar with Ken Ramirez. You've heard us talk about Ken many times in these podcasts. For 26 years, Ken was the Executive Vice President of Animal Care and Animal Training at Chicago's Shedd Aquarium. Currently, he serves as the Executive Vice President and Chief Training Officer of Karen Pryor Clicker Training. What you may not know is Ken grew up on a ranch. So in addition to his expertise in the care and training of animals in zoological facilities, Ken also knows horses. So we're going to have a great conversation. And you get to join in. You can ask Ken about the training of all sorts of animals, from 
butterflies and spiders to whales and elephants. What can we learn from the training of these exotic animals that can help us with our horses and dogs? That's what we're going to be exploring with Ken. In our recent podcasts, we've talked a lot about choice and control. I know I have a lot of questions for Ken when it comes to medical procedures. How do you gain the cooperation of an animal without damaging the relationship you have with him? That's one of the questions I'll be asking. And you can add your own questions. That's the fun of the webinars. Unlike the podcasts, in the webinars, you get to jump in with your own comments and questions. Jesus really got our heads spinning with his first webinar. He gave us so much to think about and chew over. Alex and I didn't want the conversation to end there, so we formed a discussion group for people who signed up for the webinar. It's been a fun meeting place and already it's sparking some really interesting discussions. The registration fee for the webinars includes access to this forum. Two webinars, the forum, you would think that would be enough to announce for one week, but there's even more. Next week, we're going to have our first guest for our podcast. We're so excited. Hannah Brannigan will be joining us for a cross-species conversation. Hannah is a member of the Clicker Expo faculty. She's both a professional dog trainer and a horse owner, so it's easy to make the connection back and forth between training dogs and training horses. Her obsession with good balance rivals my own. So when we get together, we always have a great time talking about training. So there's a lot to look forward to. To sign up for the webinars or to learn more about them, visit equiosity.com. Remember, the webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz is July 29 at 1.30 Eastern Time. The webinar with Ken Ramirez is August 18. It will be a little earlier. It's going to be at noon Eastern time. And if you're having trouble remembering all those details as you're listening to this podcast, don't worry. Just go to our website, equiosity.com, and you'll find all the information that you need. And if you're still struggling with the spelling of our website, just take Equus and put it together with Curiosity, and then you get Equiosity, equiosity.com. I think that's it for this week's announcements. So until next time, have fun with your training.